When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You are watching episode number 142 of the Lax Factor Podcast. We have some big games to talk about uh, that are going down today and through this weekend. And we're also introducing this week our power rankings. We're going to put those up later today. Just do the top 20 to start, but we kind of have things normalized through the whole row. So we're going to put out some power rankings and update those weekly moving forward as well. I've been doing it for a year, but uh, we'll talk about it and uh, why we're putting this out now. Uh, so before I get into it, as always, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. If you're an audio listener, share the podcast with your friends. If you're an audio listener, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor, and you can leave us a message, a voice message that we can put on the show. We usually will do those on Wednesday's show. For the most part, nobody does it, uh, but you know, if you want to do that, you can take part that way and engage. And uh, then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. We have shorts. We have t-shirts and all sorts of other swag hats that you can support us that way as well so let's get into it big games tonight we have another big game tomorrow we have a game friday we have big game saturday not as many huge marquee matchups as i think we had last week but still a bunch of good lacrosse to watch it all kicks off tonight high point visits durham to play yet another acc team in duke they've already played north carolina twice they've played virginia now they're taking on number one duke no one has pulled off that crazy upset this year. So everyone's like jonesing to see somebody upset someone. I think you could, some people would call like Army beating Syracuse an upset. That's not. That's just two good teams doing battle and one of them whooping up on the other. And similarly, I've heard people call the Syracuse drubbing of Virginia an upset. Once again, just two good teams with a weird outcome. Probably COVID plays a part in it. Who knows? But that's not an upset to me. An upset would be High Point beating Duke here today. I don't think that's going to happen. Duke's defense, far more stingy than the other ACC teams that, that High Point has faced so far. And you'd say, well, what about Virginia? Virginia's defense isn't necessarily stingy. They're opportunistic. They're pesky. They're fast. They play well in transition, but they're not necessarily the best defense or one of the best defenses in terms of goals against. Now, Duke hasn't their defense wasn't playing great early in the season, but slowly but surely, and I think what I saw out of that Richmond game, if that Richmond game is indicative of how Duke's defense is going to play the rest of the season, then people are in trouble because Duke's offense is gelling right now. In that Richmond game, they held Richmond back, and they played really good, solid defense, limited shots. I mean, it was it was a great defensive performance across the board, and Adler played admirably in cage, putting up a bunch of saves as well. So, yeah, they held Richmond to 21 shots or thereabout, uh, depending. So that's huge. Now, keys for high point are going to be, one, Asher Nolting. He's going to need to put up seven points and have less than seven turnovers. He had, I don't remember what it was, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 turnovers, I think it was, in their game against Virginia. That's not good enough. I mean, if he could just shaved 
two or three of those turnovers off without costing himself any points because sometimes turnovers are a product of taking chances. And sometimes you'll see a guy that puts up a bunch of points will also end up having slightly higher than average turnovers. Nolting has higher than average turnovers for other guys who put up similar amounts of points, and he's got to clean that up. If he could clean that up, he's as good of an attackman as you will have anywhere. But when you put up five points and you have 12 turnovers you almost may have not it's it gets down to the point of you're now kind of hurting your team versus helping them and I'm, I'm not trying to say Asher Nolting's hurting his team I'm just saying in that game Asher Nolting's turnovers hurt his team so he's going to have to clean that up a little bit Parker Green played solid against UVA for high point he's going to need to play really solid today we're talking 18 saves Duke's offense not necessarily a score in spurts type of offense like Virginia is but Duke's offense is consistent and will slow burn you to 16, 17 goals game in and game out. So Parker Green's going to have to stand on his head a little bit in cage to try to help High Point get that upset. Duke offensively clicking, and uh, they're clicking. They're playing well. They're playing a lot of guys. They're getting young guys in. Uh, so the depth that Duke is kind of fostering here and their offensive set between their first two midlines, between attackmen, you know, all these guys that are getting burned is only going to help them. But more importantly, they're gelling. Offensively, they've got it figured out. I still would like to see less dodging to set things up, less carrying of the ball, and a little bit more banging the ball around, getting a quick dodge if it doesn't work, banging it around. But when you got a dude like Mike Sowers, you got to showcase him. you got to give him the rock, and you got to let him go to the cage. Against Richmond, he did that a few times where it was some of the takes that he's – some of the goals he scored or one of the goals he scored from X. I think he had two sneak arounds, and he's been kind of doing that where it's like he's starting to – get more comfortable and take those those opportunities to sneak around the crease and score quick goals. Those have been crazy. But I'd like to see Sowers out front of the cage a little bit more. I feel like they're, they're pigeonholing him a little bit too much into the wings and an X, and I would like to see him dodging from uh, corners up top, maybe even getting some looks out top in the middle. And high point, you know, we'll see what they do defensively against them but if they zone up maybe you see an opportunity for Sowers to come out in in front of the offense but they they really like having him at x and one of the things I liked with Princeton last year that they did with Sowers was they had him dodging all over the field they had him dodging from corners down alleys and then through x they had him dodging out top at times I'd like to just see them get him moved around the field a little bit more uh, Sowers, he, he goes two and four against Towson, three and five against Air Force, three and two against Richmond. You know, this is Duke's offense now. You know, we're going to feed the beast, but everybody else is filling in nicely. Robertson has played incredible. Joe Robertson, since he's been back, has put up a bunch of points. Um, you know, so pretty much across the board, Duke looks good offensively. The midfield lines are playing good, and that's going to be problems. That's going to spell problems for high point today. I don't predict, I'm, like, once again, I always say it, bad at predictions. I don't predict a, a drubbing here, but I figure Duke is probably going to win by a margin. Let's call it four to six goals or so, and I wouldn't be surprised just with the, the toll that this type of early season schedule takes on a team. I wouldn't be surprised to see high point fatigue start to set in here, you know, playing their fourth ACC opponent in a handful of weeks. So it's got to be rough for them. Uh, North Carolina at Virginia is tomorrow night's big game. Probably that's, you know, there's two huge games this weekend, North Carolina at Virginia and then Rutgers at Maryland. So second biggest ACC matchup, uh, our second big ACC matchup, UVA will have been involved in the first two ACC games. Q's putting the hurt on ACC or on Virginia two weeks ago. 
and now they're they're the first, you know, the next ACC game to play. Per our own power rankings that we have out, which I'll show you here uh, later. Maybe I'll show it to you as I'm talking here if I remember. UVA is the third-ranked team in the country because their schedule's been pretty crazy. Like, a lot of people are going to be like, hey, UVA's ranked ninth in the poll. Why do you have them at third in your power rankings right behind UNC and Duke? And it's because the quality wins. You know, yes, they have that that drubbing that they took at the hands of Syracuse, and we have an adjustment for a loss of that sort where you get beat down by someone that you shouldn't. But the 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 computer rankings early on are always going to reward teams that play a lot of games. We've tried to normalize for that, but you don't want to normalize for that too much because it ends up skewing the results, and it kind of shows you a little bit more of what you want to see versus what the computer model really wants to see. So, yeah. Virginia's ranked third in those power rankings. North Carolina's ranked number one, but it's Virginia's beat high point. Virginia lost to Syracuse, but Virginia's got a a good win against Army. I think Virginia beat Richmond. I mean, Virginia's played a a tough schedule, and then their schedule through the rest of the year doesn't get any easier. So they are rewarded for that tough schedule. They're rewarded for winning early season games against ranked teams, and even with that loss to Syracuse, because they're five and one, the the computer model has them up a little bit higher. Um, But you know, three and one over that stretch. Let's see here. They beat ranked teams. Oh, I have it listed so I could tell you who they beat. They beat number seven, Army. They beat number 13, Loyola. They beat number six, Syracuse, and number 19, High Point. And they went three and one over that stretch versus all of those ranked teams. So that that helps them. It has to play. You look at a team like Maryland, sure, a poll has Maryland ahead of Virginia. The computer model, all it can do is say, hey, look who we've played. They've played four ranked teams. They're three and one against those four ranked teams. They've beat some teams by some decent margins, even with that loss to Syracuse. So wait wait until we get into it and we talk about it later and you see that I have uh, it has Syracuse one spot above Army on it. People are going to lose their minds after that. Carolina. They're doing everything well. They're winning face-offs. They win ground balls between the boxes. They're playing solid overall team defense, albeit they aren't the most deep defense in the ACC, and they score goals every which way, in transition, out of settled offense, with an extra man, sometimes down a man. They do everything well. So Virginia is going to have to be at the top of their game in all areas. Cut down turnovers, play solid defense, make sure that you're not getting roasted off ball because Carolina, they like to share the ball and they share the ball as well as anyone. Don't slide adjacent, for God's sake. Teams have to stop slide, especially out top. Teams that slide adjacent against North Carolina are not doing themselves any favors at all. When you play North Carolina, you need to pressure them all over the field and you need to slide from the crease, never slide adjacent from North Carolina because their step-down shooters are insane and it's just going to hurt you. At X, you could play with it a little bit more if you can get help, you know, help from the crease after going adjacent or if you can rotate quickly, but in terms of of sliding and playing team defense against North Carolina. You cannot go adjacent because I we're going to do a demonstration this week where we'll put a video out probably Friday showing you know how to draw and dump, and nobody draws an adjacent slide and dumps the ball to the next guy and then have that guy snipe it better than North Carolina does. I think that UVA will play up a little bit in this game. I think that when you look at the two teams, and this this kind of factors into psyche a little bit, team psyche is important. I think UVA has more to prove than North Carolina. I think North Carolina is that team that's at the top right now. They know it, 
Uh, I know they may not feel like it, and they may say it doesn't factor, but right now, North Carolina is going to get everybody's best, and that's going to include an angry UVA who's saying, like, hey, look at this team here that hasn't done anything in a while. Get all these accolades over us, and we're going to, and now we're playing them at home. I think UVA is going to come out and play up, and I think maybe a little bit of that pressure will get to North Carolina because this being, the, you know, Virginia's already got the chance to knock the dust off the conference opponent kind of concept and idea so they've already kind of gotten hyped up hard for a huge rivalry game and then lost that game North Carolina has not had that huge rivalry game yet this year so I think that you might see UVA come out hot UNC come out a little bit slower than normal but then obviously by the end of the first quarter it'll normalize and we'll be good to go um in the end though I think UNC wins this by you know somewhere in the area of two to four goals I think North Carolina is just too good I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia gets a win here at all but I think that in the end, when you really look at what both of these teams do well and how they match up against each other, I think that UNC's favored a little bit in this game simply because they're going to put it on. They're going to put it on you if you don't have a goalie that can stand on his head, which Duke or Virginia doesn't really have. They have a goalie that's capable of putting up fifty, you know, fifty to fifty-five percent save percentage in today's game. So if if Road is in that area. UNC probably wins this game by two to four. If Rode can stand on his head and come up with 17 to 18 saves, all bets are off and it could absolutely go UVA's way. But UVA is going to have to play a better game than UNC. If both both teams play up to their potential, UNC, I think, wins this game by a, a few goals, a couple goals to a few goals. So that's that one. Uh, Friday's game, we just keep going. We have a, a, a high point at Duke tonight. UNC at Virginia tomorrow night, and then we have Stony Brook at Syracuse. Now, this isn't quite the matchup that, that you obviously that UNC and uh, Virginia is, but it's it's kind of in the lines of a Duke high point. Stony Brook is a quality team. Granted, they're two and two, but but the America East is tough. Like Vermont uh, that Syracuse played a week ago, Stony Brook overall good. Sleep on them, and you walk away with an L. They have big wins over Sacred Heart and Bryant proving they can handle their business, in, and uh, and then they have close losses to Hofstra and UMBC. So Stony Brook can absolutely play ball. Stony Brook's strength is also their attack, led by Dylan Palanetti, 14 goals and six helpers, and two vets in Corey Van Jehoven and Tom Hahn. Van Jehoven is 9-6 and six on the year, and Tom Hahn is 8-5. and five. But in the end, so long as Syracuse comes out and plays a solid game, Stony Brook doesn't have much of a chance of walking away. I hate saying that a team doesn't have a chance of winning a game, but the reality is Syracuse is a heavy favorite in this one. They have a much deeper roster. They have better talent. They have the best player on the field. I always say, you know, who's the best player on the field at every position and which team has them in any matchup? And if you go through through that, Syracuse matches up really well against Stony Brook in that way. So stranger things have happened, though. You know, the Bryant came in in the playoffs that one year and beat Syracuse in the first round at the Dome. That was a very sad day. So stranger things has happened, but, and also I don't expect a blowout here. I don't think Syracuse is going to come in and mop the floor with Stony Brook by any means. I think like the, like the Vermont game, like games where you see Syracuse play Hobart or Colgate, these teams that, you know, are mid-level, they get up for playing in the dome and they're, they're going to come in and play their best game, I think against, against Syracuse. So I expect a slow burn to a three to seven goal victory or so is probably reasonable. Once again, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes down to overtime. Uh, I would be a little bit surprised if it went that way, I guess. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a three-goal game. I wouldn't be surprised if Syracuse beats them by 10 or 13. It's it's just going to be one of those games where it depends on who who we see, which team we see out of both of these guys. All right, Georgetown at Denver. 
this game will fill us in on who's the top dog in the Big East. It's going to give us a lot of information and data. I like data. Georgetown's defense has been incredible, and Denver has been well-tested and is now playing solid lacrosse, sitting at 5-2. and two. I don't like Denver's offense overall against Georgetown's defense because Denver's offensive strength is also Georgetown's defensive strength, albeit Georgetown may still be without Gibson Smith. So if that's the case, that absolutely evens the score here a little bit. But in, in terms of matchup, I like Georgetown's healthy defense a little bit more than I like Denver's attack, only because Denver, I, I think, lacks depth at the midfield. I think uh, Silstrap is, is fine as a third attackman, and then you got Walker and Morrill uh, anchoring that attack unit for Denver. I think Denver's problem comes in in they have a really good first midfield line. That second midfield line hasn't figured things out yet. So I think that hurts and puts a little bit more of the load on the attackman to generate the offense. A lot of that load on Jackson Morrill and Jack Hanna to, uh, at the midfield to generate that offense. And I think that Georgetown matches up really well with them in that way. Assuming especially that Gibson Smith is playing. For Denver to win, Hannel, Hannel. Hannah, Morrill, Walker, if, if Hannah and Morrill dated, now we know their name would be Hannel, just by accident there, a slip of my tongue. For Denver to win, Hannah, Morrill, Walker, and Stathakis at the faceoff dot will all have to have solid games. If any one of those four falter, if, like, you know, ex example, if Stathakis doesn't continue to dominate the faceoff dot like he has and win that possession battle against Georgetown uh, this weekend... And the or the Denver attack can't handle their pole matchups and they're not beating guys and drawing slides and drawing eyeballs, then, you know, kind of goes Georgetown's way and Georgetown wins this game by two or three goals, if not more. They're capable. Uh, for the Hoyas, I think, but, you know, for Denver, as long as those guys show up and those guys have been showing up more often uh, than not as of late, then Denver should be okay. For the Hoyas, their defense may have to play, like I keep saying, but without Gibson Smith. If they do they can't have a Marquette-like performance out of Owen McElroy. Owen, I've been saying for a while Owen McElroy is the best goalie in the country. I've even been getting chirped for it because there's people who actually don't know who this guy is. I don't even know how that's possible. But the first two games that Georgetown played, I think it was their first two games, this kid, maybe it was his first, their first three games actually, this kid stood on his head and only allowed four goals over their first three games. And then in that game against Marquette, he played like a human boy, uh, man, and he uh, you know gave up uh, more goals. I forget how many goals he ended up giving up in that game. It wasn't all of the goals to Marquette, but he gave up a, a, a handful of goals more than he normally would. So he can't have that game. He's got to come out and put up a 70% um, save percentage in this one, especially without Gibson Smith to make sure that they win this game. And if he does that, they might win this game by a margin. And in his favor, Denver has not been a very good shooting team. Denver is a team that in close, their attackmen end up finishing well, but you know their midfielders are kind of streaky shooters. So high-volume shooters. Jack Hanna does not have a great save. He had a, an incredible shooting percentage through 2020, and this year so far his shooting percentage has not been all that great. So Denver, key. Get shots on Cage and get them past McElroy, but a really simple way for Georgetown to win this game. McElroy puts up 15 saves or more. Georgetown probably wins. Rutgers at Maryland. A lot of people are going to say this is the biggest game of the weekend, and I wouldn't fault them for that. They wouldn't be wrong. Probably, in my opinion, the second biggest game of the weekend because I think I'm just wicked pumped for that Virginia-North Carolina game. But Rutgers and Maryland are both, at this point, what, top five teams? I think uh, our power rankings actually have Rutgers one spot ahead of Maryland. 
for a simple reason. Again, they're both 3-0. and They both played very similar teams. Rutgers, though, has played two ranked teams versus Maryland only playing one. And then Rutgers has won by slightly larger margins. So the computer doesn't know. The computer just says, hey, look at this team. Looks like they're doing a little bit better than the other. But very good game here. Both 3-0. and Built both Big Ten conference teams, and right now they look like they're sitting at the top. I like how Maryland looked last week against Hopkins. Wisnowskis had his best game of the season thus far, really the best game of his career, I believe they said. And Bernhardt has been playing insanely savage lacrosse, aggressive with swag. He scored one of those goals where he came up at the right side and scored from behind, and just after he's angry. He looks like he's playing angry. He's playing with some cockiness that I enjoy, so that's going to be key for Maryland. Key in this game, though, isn't either of those. I mean, it is those guys, but, you know, big key for Maryland in this game is going to be Daniel Maltz. Rutgers can put guys on and they can kind of handle limiting to a degree Wisnowskis and Bernhardt. But then you throw Daniel Maltz in, who's been playing really good lacrosse, three and three against Hopkins last weekend, four and one over the, in the win over Penn State. And I think he had a huge game in their first game of the year, too. This kid's emerging and is going to prove for Maryland, is going to prove key for Maryland down the stretch for sure. Number one and number 12 are bad enough for Rutgers to have to deal with, but now you got number 37 in Maltz that presents all sorts of matchup problems because you got to devote so much attention to Bernhardt and Wisnowskis that, that Maltz has just been able to feast against teams. And I don't think Rutgers has the defensive depth to kind of come in and blanket everybody. You know, somebody's going to give Rutgers a problem, and Maltz is one of those guys that could. Key for Rutgers, and one of the ways they can kind of flip the 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 the, the script here and get a win. Colin Kirst in cage. This kid's been great. 60%. Over Rutgers' first three games, 44 saves versus 29 goals against. If he can hit that 60% save percentage in this game, it's going to go right down to the wire, almost guaranteed. This kid's been a huge surprise, at least for me. Maybe not for Maryland or Maryland fans. I don't even think... um, or Rutgers fans. I don't even think Rutgers fans thought this kid was going to end up getting the start in cage. He does, and he has played insanely well, absolutely earning that spot. So I think we see 30 goals in this one. I think this is going to be not a traditional Big Ten battle. I think the Big Ten battles more recently have been higher scoring affairs than they would have been maybe four or five years ago. But I think 30 goals in this game. I think you see Maryland end up winning by a goal or two, 16-14 range, somewhere like that. Let's say it's a, it comes down to a goal at the end and Maryland scores an empty netter. It's going to be Wisnowskis that's going to score off that left wing because that's just where he likes to snipe stuff from. So as we get into random things, there's not a whole lot of other marquee games to talk about. So we'll talk about some more games on Saturday in the live stream Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Be sure to go to youtube.com forward slash lax factor to tune in there. We have a live chat that goes on. We take questions live during the show. Albany. They have impressed so far. I just wanted to talk about Albany. The Danes have gotten off to a 2-0 start, and keeper Liam Donnelly is a big reason why. He had 20 saves versus, oh boy. I think it was 12 goals against for a 57% save percentage so far this season, or maybe it was 15 goals against. 20, 20 saves versus 15 goals against, but I got a typo in here. Put a T, and I think that trying to hit the T, or the 5, I hit the T. Um, and then at the faceoff dot, uh, Altamari and Endress are winning faceoffs for Albany so far. We'll see how that how that plays out once they get into their their tougher parts of their schedule. But they've been winning faceoffs, and that's often a problem for Albany. They always have two problems: goalkeeping has pretty much been solid. So seeing seeing um, Donnelly play well in cage is going to be big for them down the stretch. But 
Winning faceoffs has always been a challenge for Albany, and then matching up defensively against teams has always been a problem for Albany. Albany relies on scoring a bunch of goals to keep pace with teams, and this year they don't really have the defensive depth or the any star power on that side of the field. So we have to see how that looks, and, and this week will be a good test against Vermont to you know kind of give us a gauge of where's Albany defensively. Offensively, we know they're going to be okay. DeHogan Nanakoke, he comes back in their second game. He puts up three goals and four assists. I don't remember why he sat out that first game. And Jacob Patterson, who had a huge first game, four goals and four assists in their win over Colgate without DeHoga, kind of proves that, hey, we don't have to have DeHoga or we don't have to have Patterson on any given day be the guys to lead. We can have DeHoga lead in one game. Patterson can lead in another. So they're proving offensively they've got guys who can create offense who can dodge. Ron John's been good. He was three and two last weekend in their win. So Albany has all the weapons they need on offense. They just have to prove that they can play solid team defense to go with winning some faceoffs now and Liam Donnelly playing well in cage. Another thing I wanted to talk about was Notre Dame's faceoff duo, Kyle Gallagher and Charles Leonard. Now, when, when Gallagher announced that he was transferring to Notre Dame, I thought, well, that sucks for Leonard. And Leonard wasn't this crazy faceoff guy, I, I I thought maybe I'll have to look at stats now, but I mean, I pegged Le- Leonard at being like a 50, 55% guy. He has not been that since Gallagher has come to town. And I'm wondering how much them playing against each other in practice and practicing together has kind of played. I wonder if uh, Gallagher's taught Leonard some tricks of his trade because Gallagher has been one of the premier faceoff guys in college lacrosse for a while now. So the fact that they've been splitting time nearly Gallagher's got the edge in attempts, but only barely. And both of them have been incredible. Gallagher is 22 of 26 uh, from the dot with two assists and 16 ground balls. Leonard is 17 of 22 with 12 ground balls combined. Those two guys are 39 of 48 from the faceoff dot. They've had one other guy take three draws. He's gone one and three. But those two guys, 81.25% over two games for Notre Dame from the faceoff dot. That's huge because, like, with the COVID crap, too, just because Gallagher gets COVID, let's say, and can't play that game, you've got another guy who's who's coming in to, to fill, fill that role by himself that game, and he's capable of winning anywhere from 60 to 80%, as has been proven. And you couple that with the fact that Notre Dame has a solid defense. Uh, they have a solid offense that shares the ball well, that has a lot of weapons. And you're going to now give them 70 to 80% of the possessions, assuming this holds up and continues through the season. That, you know, everyone's got Notre Dame picked last in the ACC, except Nick Ocello is the only guy that has them not last in the ACC. And I don't think they're, I, I don't think you can pick a last place team in the ACC. I don't, I think you could say, huh? It's fair to assume UNC and Duke right now are the favorites, but they're not necessarily going to win this conference. They, they end, There's a lot of dynamics at play here and how the schedule broke down, where, for instance, Syracuse has to play UVA and Notre Dame twice. Other teams are not getting that draw. I forget who Notre Dame plays twi- twice. It might be Syracuse and Duke. So I would say by that logic, Notre Dame got the worst draw. So that's going to play into this. You, you know, Everyone's got to play two of the teams twice, and if that those matchups don't work well, you could see a team like North Carolina uncharacteristically lose a couple of games just because they don't match up well against one of the teams they have to play twice, or maybe both of the teams they have to play twice, and it greatly changes the dynamic of this conference. So don't count Notre Dame out because they are legit all over the field, and that should be scary 
for some of these ACC teams. Another key for we're going to once again talk about another ACC kid just because he's playing well. Adler. Adler is playing tough between the pipes for Duke. Against Richmond, the transfer posted 15 saves versus 21 shots faced. That was a big, big stat in that game. A lot of people looked at that Duke-Richmond score, and they were like, what What happened there? Adler happened there. 28 saves versus 42 shots faced over his last three games, and he's got a 59% save percentage overall so far this season. He was benched early in the season. Upgren got some burn after Adler didn't have a very good start, and Adler's earned that starting job back and has played really well, so that's going to be bad news for teams in the ACC. It's going to be bad news tonight, possibly, for High Point. Another guy I want to talk about, Delaware attackman Ty Kurtz. I just noticed this kid went off for five goals and six helpers in Delaware's win over Fairfield uh, over the weekend. He's been really good. Oh, man, my mouth is getting dry. All right. Over the first quarter of that game, he was 3-1. and one. Two assists over the second quarter. Two and two over the third, and then one assist in the fourth. The junior has 12 goals and seven helpers and a shooting percentage of 52% over Delaware's first, what is it, three games? I think Delaware's 3-1, and 2-1 and one or something like that now. So that's pretty big news for him. Like I said, that's all we're going to talk about in terms of the games that are coming up. What we're going to talk about now is going to be our power rankings that we're releasing here. So what we're doing, I'm not going to go into everything. I'm going to keep some of my secrets in terms of how we're getting these to work the way that we're doing them. But I started working on these power ratings uh, somewhere around the beginning of last season, and I never put them out officially. But I was working on it, and then the season ended, and it was like, oh, crap, I can't do that anymore. And the season ended right before I could start to really see how it was working. So I, I was like, oh, crap, I forgot that I even had that, uh, that document and uh, all of the formulas and everything sitting in my, in my drive. So I busted it out, put all the data in over the last week, made some adjustments here. And right now, what we're looking at is we are looking at North Carolina at number one, Duke at number two, Virginia at number three, Rutgers and Maryland filling out the top five. North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Rutgers, Maryland. Now, a lot of people are going to say, Virginia, how do you have Virginia so high? The reason Virginia's high, as I said earlier in the show, is because they've got five wins and they have, let's see here, two wins against top 20 opponents and one win against the top 10 team. So, you know, Virginia's just played a really good schedule thus far and they picked up some solid wins against good teams. Other teams have not played as many ranked teams and pulled away wins. You know, High Point has played as many ranked teams as UVA, but they've lost those games versus UVA has won all of those games. So that plays for them. It, it will normalize as Syracuse and Army and the Notre Dames and the Georgetowns and the Marylands get more games under their belt. And Maryland and Rutgers, for instance, are going to get more games against ranked opponents under their belts. But Virginia, you know, because they play so many games early, it's it's really hard to adjust out of that. So I don't know that Virginia deserves that number three spot, but right now it is what they got, and you guys just have to suck it up. The computer doesn't lie here. Um, it, it does. Other people, there's other uh, computer rankings out there that I don't think do as good of a job as what I have done. I don't I I don't like to toot my own horn much, but I think these are a little bit more indicative of of where these teams really stand, simply because we make some adjustments to account for the fact that some teams have played more games than other teams and so on and so forth. Uh, our next batch of five goes Georgetown at number six, Syracuse at seven, Army, Notre Dame, and Denver. Now, before people start freaking out, once again, 
it Syracuse has a tougher schedule overall. One of the ways that we normalize is we do the strength of schedule in real time and we base it off of who do you play and how is that team doing now and you get your whole season's worth of strength of schedule applied to your score now. That's one of the things that we do to kind of adjust for the fact that these teams haven't all played. And as we kind of looked at it relationally, strength of schedule overall has definitely plays heavily in the quality of the teams by the end of the year. So we have a little formula in here to adjust for that. And that is where probably Syracuse ends up taking Army. They're only two points apart in terms of here. And we'll see what happens this weekend with this weekend's games and how that changes. But it, it the, the, the computer apparently liked Syracuse's win over Virginia a little bit better than it liked Army's win over Syracuse because it doesn't care that Army beat Syracuse. So it, the, the rankings here don't take the head-to-head into consideration at all. Same reason why it has Virginia above both Army and Syracuse because it's what it's taking is just your wins, your losses, a little bit of margin of victory, a little bit of top five, top 10, top 20 action to weight those wins more properly, and then a bunch of other stuff that we work in to adjust for various things. And that's why that, that ends up there. But overall, I mean, I think that's a solid uh, top 10, even if you don't agree completely with the order, which I don't, if I were to rank these teams in order based just off of my own thoughts, I would do it a little bit differently. But those you know, it's it's a good representation of the teams that I would put in the top 10. Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Rutgers, Maryland, Georgetown, Syracuse, Army, Notre Dame, and Denver. Uh, and then beyond that, we get into the 11 and the 15. We have Lehigh at number 11, Loyola at uh, – Lehigh at 11, Loyola at 12, Albany at 13, Penn State at 14, and Navy at 15. And I think that's fair. Lehigh, 2-0. and uh, Loyola two and two, so those losses hurt them and dropped them a little bit. Albany two and zero, oh, haven't played anybody really yet, but they've won by a decent margin. Penn State one and two, uh, but they've played you know a pretty tough schedule here thus far, so that all factors in. And the Navy sitting at two and zero oh as well. And then outside there we go from uh, uh, sixteen to twenty. We have Jacksonville, Hofstra, High Point, Bucknell, and Ohio State bring it in. Uh, I wanted to see Richmond up here. Richmond's down at 25. Uh, Ohio State just squeaked in due to one of the adjustments we made that gave a team credit for their full strength of schedule before they've even played those teams. It's one of the only weird things that we're doing. And we only did that to normalize the rankings a little bit more for teams that hadn't played as many games. One thing I hate is when you put computer rankings out, Everybody complains early on where you got Duke and Virginia have played six games and everybody else has only played three and they don't, they look out of whack, especially some of the smaller conferences, they start even later. So that was one way we could kind of normalize a little bit more for that without skewing the rankings. Uh, we, I, I, we had played around with the formula. I say we, I did all this shit. There is no we, it's just me. I'm just used to for work purposes saying we, and for this, I end up saying we, and sometimes when I say we, I'm talking about you guys that are watching. So really in the end, this is all me. I spent probably 10 hours this week, not this week, but over the last two weeks, uh, sitting on the couch at night toiling over the formulas and crap like that to try to get everything to look right. So there's a couple of things that will probably, once everybody gets five or six games under their belt, will even strip away the veneer, you know, some of the things that we're causing them to normalize for now. But that's our top 20. So we'll put that out here. Uh, that's probably it. We got a weird show today because I got a busy work day coming up. I've been up since 4.30 this morning. I'm recording this here before 7. 
this morning. It's only now 7.02 this morning here. So I'm, uh, I'm not on top of my game. So if it sounded like I wasn't on top of my game, it's because I got up really early today for work purposes and crap like that. But uh, I hope that it was all right. We're going to be back Saturday morning live stream, 10 a.m., going to have a bonus video put out Friday that's going to be a train, you know, kind of a film review video uh, showing the concepts of drawing and dumping. And it'll be drawing and dumping from a regular offensive set out top from X and even drawing and dumping uh, concept in terms of running the fast break and drawing the point man and dumping to the uh, point, drawing the point defender and dumping off to the point man. So that'll come out Friday. So come back Friday, have a video Friday morning, instructional film review video, come back Saturday. We will have the Saturday morning live stream at 10 a.m. on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash laxfactor. Hit up Twitter, too. We're putting the link up on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash laxfactor. We put that up before we go live, and then you can just hit it, wait for it to go live, and already be there. And then on Sunday, as always, we have the Sunday morning weekend recap where we recap the games, play highlights, talk about everything that happened, and all that good stuff. So I'm going to get the heck out of here. As always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag, support us that way, share, tell the world, subscribe. We're getting close to 10,000 subscribers. The goal was to get to 10,000 before the end of this season. Not sure it's going to happen. We still got about 700 and change to go, but hey, we're at 9,300 and change. That's a hell of a lot of subscribers in the lacrosse world. So not bad, people. Not bad. I can't thank you guys all enough. I actually, this week, for some reason, I got a boatload of really kind emails from people just thanking me for taking the time to do this and telling me you know, what they think of it and what it means to them and all that crap. So I appreciate that, too. Keep that crap coming. Um, I try not to toot my own horn. I try not to compare myself to other people and what they do because kind of what I do here is unique in this space. But there are a lot of people out there that are trying to hop into the the YouTube space now and do their stuff. So I uh, I think there's room for everybody. I'm not gonna you're not gonna see me beat my beat anybody else up or puff myself up. I think that there's room for everyone. But I do appreciate that people have reached out and told me they appreciate me. Everybody wants to be liked. You can't help it. Even a old savage like me. So that's all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. I will be back Saturday morning, 10 a.m. on the live stream. Hoost is out.